I want to just say a few things before we get into the Word. I just want to say thank you for all of you and your prayers. And just this has been a long process for your church to just seek God's will. And that takes, takes a lot of work and just a lot of your time and just support and care. It was great to come to a house full of stuff. There was a, a closet just full of goodies and food. I told my kids, I'm sleeping in here tonight. I might gain a hundred pounds just because of that, but it was, it was great. And just some of you showed up to help us unload our vehicle and just all your time. But above all, I want to thank you for your prayers. That to me is the most important thing. And as time goes on, we will see that prayer is not just something we do to get us ready for ministry. Prayer is the main thing. And it will be just, you'll see the benefits of prayer as we continue on. So thank you for your time, your support, just all the energy you've put in to get us here, and just your hearts. And it's good to be back here again. I told my wife, my bride, I said, here we are again. And it's good to bring my kids here, and hopefully you'll get to know them. And hopefully this afternoon we can hang out a little bit more and just be a little bit more informal, and I love to get to know each of you and get to know your names. I've got a lot of names already rambling in my head. I'll do the best I can to sort that out, but um, we can get together and do that. So let me, let me state this, though. Above all those things, our family, for us, this is a very important time for us to be here. Someone was saying, historically, this is an important time for the church, but let me state this right in the onset here. This is the Lord's day. This is not our day. This is not historic for the church. This is His day. And there's a passage in Psalm 115, verse 1. It says this, Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to Your name be the glory. So let's begin with prayer. Father God, we do acknowledge that this is exciting for us as a church. This is exciting for us as families as we gather together to worship you on this special day that we get to be here. Exciting and important for my family to be here. To finally say this is our church. But ultimately, this is your day, Lord. Ultimately, this is your time. This is for your glory. And we thank you for the time and the labor that these five men have put into praying and looking and seeking your will for this moment, but this is your time. So we acknowledge this day as every day is your day. And we ask that you would guide us today, be with us today, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin with stating that I'm not big into labels. I'm not big into saying, hey, this is who I am, this is what I'm about. That's just not my style. But many times that's very important to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I travel a lot. Well, I used to in the past. Now I get to kind of anchor down here, which is nice. But especially when I would travel overseas, I'd go to Asia, to South America, to wherever I would go. I would travel a lot in the States here, 
often as I would travel, I would sit next to someone in an airplane, or we would be traveling, I would sit next to someone, or if I'm somewhere, I notice where we live now, there's, there's a place where I can get my hair cut right down the road, even my wife does it, but I'm thinking, I want to get to know the people in the community. If I sit down, often people will say, in the first conversation, an airplane or something, so what do you do? And I love that. That's, that's a great way for me to really get into talking with people. Most people say, oh, I do this and this, and they want to go on to other things. Well, what do you do? And usually I say, well, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. And usually within that first second, I can usually tell where people want to go with that. Usually they want to say, oh, great weather outside it is today. <laughs> but that's usually a way I can start a conversation with them. And in the conversation, they'll sometimes say, oh, you're a a minister. Oh, what religion are you? And this is where I'm not into labels. I'm not into saying, oh, I'm this or this. But this is where it's important, especially in the world we live in today. I begin with saying this, well, I'm a Christian. And everyone here, hopefully you know what that means. I'm a Christian. And sometimes, especially if I'm going overseas, sometimes people don't even, they'll go, oh, oh okay, I understand that. Okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So they say, oh, okay, in their brain, they kind of put that in that category. And if they kind of like, oh, a Christian, if they kind of pause, I'll ex- have a chance to explain that. Like, have a chance to explain what the gospel message is, what a Christian is compared to all the other religions there are. But sometimes they have to be a little bit more narrow. They say, oh, you're a Christian minister. They'll say, what religion? And in their mind, they're kind of maybe thinking, what denomination? What? So I get a little bit more narrow. So first I say I'm a Christian. Secondly, I say I'm a Protestant. Because that kind of sets myself apart from either the Catholic tradition or even the Orthodox tradition. If you know maybe some of your church history in the 1500s, that's when there was a major split, a major kind of different tracks kind of split off, saying, hey, we're with the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, and the Orthodox is, is there also. That's a little bit more narrow. But to get even more specific, more narrow, I put this word in. I'm a Christian. I'm a Protestant. But here's the big word that usually makes most people either open their eyes or kind of like, what are you talking about? I'm a Christian, I'm a Protestant, but I'm also evangelical. Does anybody even know what evangelical is? Most people are like, I've heard that word. Our church is, what is evangelical? Here is, most people think evangelical as an evangelist. Oh, you're an evangelist. Well, the, the, the words have the same root there, they understand. But this is what an evangelical is. An evangelical is word-centered. We're all about the word. It's all about the Bible. That's our authority. That's what we live off of. That is what we cling to. We're all about the word. And secondly, we're all about the cross. Okay? There's many Protestants who would say, oh, the the word's somewhat important, but they, they think community's more important, or they think other things are more important. But for evangelicals, We're all about this alone. And we're all about the cross. In fact, every time I get to preach, everywhere I go, I'm always holding this thing, my fingers in the Word, and my fingers out there, and my fingers at my heart saying, this is, I need this. So I'm all about the Word, and evangelicals are all about the cross. It always leads to the cross. Because that's what we need, right? 
So this may surprise you, but in December, as I started talking with John, as talking with these gentlemen, I started praying, saying, Lord, if this is where you lead myself and my family, I need to start preparing. Where, what would we do as a church? What, so I've been just praying and thinking and just going, how would you guide us as a church? I said, well, we need to begin here. We need to begin here. And it's been great. I've been able to listen to some of the sermons that Kent has given, some of your guest speakers, how they've brought this. Bud has had so much wisdom, so many great stories. He's been a minister for so long, but he's held on to this. Amen? So I've thought about this. I've thought even in December, even Christmas break, I remember just getting my pencil going, okay, if Lord, if you call me to Kenya, what would we do? And I just, here's what, I, what I've done is I've sat and prayed, and because I'm so evangelical, I'm all about the word, I'm all about the cross, I was petting some stuff out, and I thought, this is what I would do. If I would come, I would take a few months as a church and start a series called This We Believe. How to live and living out the gospel-centered life. And my goal is this. And I've been praying and and just seeking the Lord. I want to take three months with you. Just with us. And take three months and just ground ourselves in some of the basic things historic Christianity believes. What do evangelicals who are crazy people about the word, who are all about the cross... What are some of these things that we believe? And I want to take three months and just ground us in this and then begin to just grow and reach out. So I've kind of broken this up into three parts. The first part, which will take about a month, we're going to have kind of upward focus. All focus about God. We're going to take time and focus on the Word. We're going to take time and focus on Christ and the cross because guess what? Easter is coming up. What a joy we're going to have. We're going to take time and look at the Lord and His work. And we're going to take time and look at what is worship. Because ultimately, all that we do, set up, should be about worship. Preaching from the Word, this is about worship. Worship with song is about worship. When you go home, if you're not going to meet with us, and you go home with your family and eat, that should be all about worship. And then we'll take time and look, that's upward, then we're going to take time and look inward. I've kind of broken this up in three parts. Inward. We're going to look at what does it mean to be the body, to be a church? What does it mean to care for one another? What does it mean to have community? What does it mean to have discipleship? And after we take time doing that, I cannot wait for us then to look outward. What does it mean to have ministry? in our eyes. What does it mean when we pull up, not just to this school, this morning we pulled up a little bit before nine, we pulled up and I parked over there. And I said, girls, look around. My three girls were able to look around, we looked around and right away my one daughter says, oh, look at that house. Look at the stuff underneath that house. And I said, girls, it's easy to see that stuff, but let's pray for this area. Let's look with the eyes that Jesus would look at. What about the people in that house? Let's pray for them. So we took time as a family and prayed. So we're going to take time as a church to look upward for a month or so. 
Then we're going to look inward. What does it mean to be a body of Christ? What does that mean in Scripture? And then we're going to look outward. What does it mean to do ministry outward? So this series we're going to do is called This We Believe, Living the Gospel Life, and what it looks like to do that. I wrote this down. One of the reasons we want to do this as a church is because so many churches fail, so many people fail because they don't begin here. They begin trying to do all these programs and projects and all these things as a church, but they forget to begin here. We need to begin in the Word. In fact, let me state this. If ever I don't preach from this, kick me out. If ever someone up here doesn't hold this close to their heart, have them sit down. Because this is the word. In fact, if you look inside your bulletin, I think it's written here, it says we are all about, in the beginning it says we're all about proclaiming the word of God. That's what this church is about. In fact, let me state something very bold here. All of these things, all the time that I'm up here preaching, as long as the Lord allows me to be here, anyone else that comes here to preach, listen. The primary goal of this is that we would come to know the Lord more. Oh, that's what we want to do. We want to come to know the Lord more through this. But listen to this. The only way we can know God, now think about this, the only way we can know God is through revelation. Okay? And the primary way he's revealed himself is right here. In his word and, that's number one, and secondly, when the word took on flesh. I love that. Isn't that great? The only way we can know God is how he reveals himself. And the primary way he's done that is in his word and when the word took on flesh. And that's what we're going to dig into. So let's begin with the word. So if you would turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Now, as an evangelical, as a pastor, you will hear me say this every Sunday. This is one of my favorite chapters. I might be turning to, is it Leviticus? I might say, this is one of my favorite chapters. In fact, the day I preach in Leviticus, you're going to be like, how can this be done? And when you leave, you're going to go, that is one of my favorite chapters. And hopefully you'll be saying, that's one of my favorite chapters. Every chapter is his word. Every chapter is beautiful. Especially this one. I'll say that about every chapter because I love the word. (laughs) Psalm chapter 1. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read this chapter. It's very short. We're not going to take the whole chapter and dig into it. In fact, we're just going to look at just two, three words. But what I want to do is I want to read this chapter. And as I read this, notice the contrast between the wicked and the righteous. Notice the contrast between those who are wicked and what the result is and those who are righteous. Those who follow this right here, this book, and the results of their life. The benefits of that. Psalm chapter 1. Now listen to this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Verse 2. But his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They're like the chaff, the wind, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Verse 1, three different ways. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk, who doesn't stand, or doesn't sit in the way of the world. We're not to follow the way of the world. The world wants to suck us in that way. Verse 2 is one of my favorite verses of all. Of course, as an evangelical, I'm going to say that about every verse. But truly listen to this verse. You'll see why. Look at verse 2. But his delight. It's not in the stuff of this world. It's not in all the things that wants to suck us in. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Let me just quickly look at three words. A word that's repeated twice. It's mentioned twice. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates. Law. This is God's instruction. And let me make this clear and bold. We as a church, this is our standard right here. This is what will guide us. This is what will lead us. This is his instruction. We need guidance. As we traveled here, I had a map. I had one of those atlases. You ever see those atlases where they have every state? I had a map. I had the big state. You know, that one page was show all the United States. There's Alaska and there's Hawaii. I had this map. We were on our way, and then we hit North Dakota, and a blizzard came. But that wasn't the bad part. I'm a Wisconsin boy. I, I can drive through blizzards. I've got four-wheel drive. That's fine with me. But before that, it was raining. And when temperature drops down in the Midwest, it can go 20 degrees in one hour, just drop. And the, the roads were glare ice. And we, we saw think, you know, people in ditches, and we were just like, we had to pull over and find a place. I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Gratefully, I had a guide in Washington. I had a travel agent. His name is John. John Gamble. <laughs> Called up my travel agent and said, John, I, I need some help here. I need a little assistance. We just got out of Fargo. We're, we're hitting a blizzard. This is not going to be good. I need some help. Well, where are you at? He was able to see what we could not see because he could get online and go, okay, there's a hotel. Great. My kids were excited because they had a water park there. I didn't even know they had things like that in North Dakota. This is great. We needed a guide. And then we were going through Montana, and I called some of my friends in Spokane. I said, hey, we're coming through. They said, listen, where you're at now, if you don't get to Spokane, because we're going to spend the night in Montana, we're going to take it slow. They said, you need to get here because there's a storm coming. We did not know what was ahead. We were in a car. We were in our big suburban in a truck. We didn't know what was ahead. We needed a guide to tell us. Especially they live in Spokane. Listen, you won't make it through these passes we have if you don't get here tonight. 
You need to get there. So we pushed it, and we made it in time. We had guides helping us. Then John said, listen, the storm that's hit, you won't get to Seattle. You're going to have to go around, down through Oregon. I'll say Oregon only once. Oregon. (laughs) It's the Oregon Trail to me. Go that way. Get to Portland. Everything will be okay. So as we're traveling to Portland, I looked at the map. I said, if we stay in Portland, only an hour away is the ocean. I'm a Midwestern boy. I need to see the ocean. Especially an hour away is Cannon Beach where my wife and I had our honeymoon. I want to go there. Let's take our kids there. We're doing it. I'm not going to tell John, our guide. (laughs) I looked at the map. Portland to the coastline. Only 50 minutes. We're going to make it. It's raining in Portland. This will be fine. The map did not show the mountains we had to go through. Elevation, 500 feet. It started to snow. I, I turned to Samantha. I said, we found the Narnian porthole. <laughs> the trees were gorgeous. It was just heavy laden with snow. We're like, kids were like, this is beautiful. Yes. Next sign, elevation, 1,000 feet. Oh, it's snowing heavier and heavier. 1,500 feet. Well, this wasn't on the map. Then a flashing light was ahead of us. You must have chains on. Beware. Well, what's going on? This this isn't on the map. Hey, listen. Some of you in your life, in the journey of your family, you've got things mapped out, but you know what it's like to hit things that's not on the map. You know what it's like to hit things where you're like, Health-wise, this is not supposed to happen in my life. Why is this happening? This isn't on my map. Do you know what? As a church, this will be our guide. This will be our guide. This is our instruction. The Lord has laid this out for us to follow so we would know what He wants for us as families as a church individually this is his law we need a guide gratefully we made it I'm used to snow not like this driving or this my stepfather came and drove the big truck he's a trucker he was cruising by me but we need guides this is our guide so the word law is in there twice but To me, I want to look at one word that sometimes we just pass over. Let's look at verse 2 again. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. Do you see that word delight? Why would the word delight be right next to law? How many of you, when you drive down the road, you go, Yes, we're slowing down to 55. All right! Oh, look at the law right Oh, It's about time. I'm so grateful for that law. How many of you say the other thing? Oh, come on. We got, well, I'm stepping up a little bit more. Oh, I think the key word in this is this word delight. His delight is in the... How many of you have opened up the Bible and you just go, 
It's my delight every day. How many of you open up the Bible and go, oh, it's so dry sometimes. Be honest. How many of you feel like it's, it's hard work sometimes? I'm raising, I'm raising, the pastor's raising his hand on that. <laughs> the rest of you are just lying, okay? <laughs> that will be the next sermon series, what to do with liars, okay? No, this is to be our delight. Those of you who are married or in relationship, you know what it's to delight. You know what it's to delight in something. How can we delight in his law? Well, that's what part of my job is to do, is to help you learn to delight in his law. In fact, if the Lord gives me weeks, years, whatever, every time I preach, I want you to delight in this law, in his word. Some of you who like food, like myself, delight in food. That's one of the things I'm excited about being here. Like, look at that restaurant. I want to delight in that food. Because <laughs> there's some food you eat, you're like, uh. Some days you wake up and you just read this, you just go, oh, I, I don't get this. This is, I don't. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Last night, my children, we have our beds somewhat assembled. The kids are on the floor. And two of my daughters wanted to snuggle with me. And my arms long enough to reach across both of them. And I was like, this is delight. My desire as your pastor is not just on Sundays preach so you delight. Hopefully your family will come over to our house. We'll come to your house. And every time we will delight in this. Because this is life. But the big question is, how do you delight in the law? How do you delight in the Bible? Well, it says it right in the rest of this. Take a look at the Bible again. Read verse 2 with me. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he, what's the word? meditates day and night. Well, how do you delight? You meditate. Well, here's the thing. For us Westerners, the word meditation seems kind of odd. Maybe you picture someone bent up like a pretzel with his arms or I don't know, with incense around them. Here it is. Listen to this. Every religion, meditation is the emptying of themselves to reach some kind of state of bliss or I don't know, nirvana, some kind of weird mystical thing. I don't know. Listen to this. Every religion, meditation is the emptying of themselves to get some state of whatever. Christianity, for Christianity, meditation is the filling of themselves to become more like Christ and know his will. Does that make sense? Meditation is not the emptying of yourself, but the filling of yourself. We're going to meditate on this and just soak ourselves in this. One of the first questions when we had an interview of, okay, who's this Cody guy? We were interviewing on like the video Skype thing with, with the trustees. They were asking, and one of the questions they asked me was, do you like coffee? <laughs> you all understand that because this is the Seattle area. The coffee I like to drink, listen to this, is the kind, not that you can see through. If, if I hold up a cup and see through, that's not my kind of coffee. Maybe you can get that at the, you know, the chain um, restaurant, whatever. I won't say what restaurant always has that kind of coffee. But 
I like the kind where you drink it, it's so thick, 10 minutes later if you spit, it's still brown. <laughs> That's the kind of coffee I like. It just, it permeates your skin, right? In your mouth, it just soaks in you. Listen, when we meditate on the word, we are to just drink of it in such a way that even when you step away from the word, it's still in you. Does that make sense? It's so, this word meditation is kind of like chewing on. In fact, another word you can translate is to murmur, to whisper. It's always there. You meditate day and night. It's always in your mind. It's always there. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? Where this word is just with us. But how do you do that? Just as a side note, my sermons are going to be a lot of digging into this, but a lot of application. How? How do we do that? Well, let's turn to one passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to know that Deuteronomy is one of my favorite books of the Bible. <laughs> it truly is. It truly is. Come to my house. I'll show you my... I've, I've published a transla- uh, the Hebrew in Hebrew, Deuteronomy, so I can go and translate the whole book. It's just, I love Deuteronomy. Do you know that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book? In fact, if you read through the book of Psalms, every time they say law, most of the time, David and the writers are talking about Deuteronomy. The law is Moses expounding in two huge sermons the law and how we are to be in right relationship with the Lord. Deuteronomy is dripping with goodness. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the beginning of Moses' second huge sermon. In fact, to the Hebrew people, this is a famous part of the Bible to them. In America, we have famous writings. The Constitution, Declaration of Independence. To the Israelites, this is their foundational writing right here. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And they call this the Shema because it's the first word there. Verse 4, famous passage, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is Lord alone. In verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Have you heard that before? Yeah, Jesus says that in the New Testament. Yeah. Most people stop there. Well, there's great stuff there. Maybe next year we'll take a, take a month and just dig in those two verses. There's such beauty there. But listen to the next part. I love this part. These commandments that I give to you today, this word here, especially on this side of the New Testament that we live, all of the counsel of God. Here it is, church. Listen to this. These commands that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates how do we delight? well we meditate how do we meditate? everything, all that we do should always be relished with encompassed with this word 
It's interesting, remember in the first part of Psalm chapter 1, blesses the man who does not walk, does not sit, does not stand in the way of the world. Here we're supposed to walk, stand, and sit in the law. Listen to this a second. Look at verse 6. These commands that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Look at me a second. Most of us, the Bible, we just memorize it and it's in our head. He doesn't say, just memorize these verses and it's good enough for you. When I was a little kid, I loved going to Sunday school class because every time I got a verse, I got a piece of candy. (laughs) Maybe that's why when I was in high school, I had 300 verses memorized. Candy. But we're not supposed to just memorize it in our head. We're supposed to what? Upon our hearts. Look at verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. This is going to be our church. We are going to be a church that when we gather, oh, we're going to talk about things, but we're also going to talk about this. When we gather at each other's homes, let's just not talk about the weather or sports. Let's talk about this and go, did you read? I just read this first. You've got to check it out. Open up and this verse, it's amazing. Then you go, oh, I read this verse today. Look at this. That's what we want to be. We want to be a church. We want to be a body. We want to be families that talk about this because this is life. Amen? So for quite some time, we're going to learn how to do this together. We're going to learn how to impress this on our children how to talk about it. How to, and here's the thing. We don't want this to be wooden, religious. Okay, here's the first of the day. Blah, 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 blah. There, okay, praise God. We got check. It's done. We want this to be a part of our fabric every day. We want this to be a part of this. I wrote this down about this passage. We are to have a wholehearted obedience to his word. That's what we want to have. Wholehearted obedience. Now, my children aren't here in this room right now, so I don't want to say this to embarrass them, but those of you who have children or those of you who have been a child, you understand what wholehearted obedience is and what it's not. I've really stretched my kids this last week, these last two weeks, this last month, packing up a house. Putting, can you imagine being in a car seat for four and a half days? Sometimes they haven't been as obedient as they should. I'm giving a little bit of patience because I understand they've gone through a lot. It's very important they obey, especially now that we're in a city. We've lived out in the woods. They can't just run across the street. They're not used to this. When I say don't run across the street, they can look at me and say, oh, you're doing that just to be mean. I'm doing this to help you, to provide and protect you, save your life. So as we go through this, as we dig in this word, don't be like, oh, it's the law. We're going to delight in this. God has given this to us to protect us and to provide so we can be like a tree that prospers. That's a leaf that does not wither because he, he is the one that knows the journey. Amen? Let's step back and let me read this again and just get this full picture And think about delighting in this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 6. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So listen, church. We are going to be a church that delights, that learns to delight in this law. How do we do that? We have to meditate day and night. Get your fingers in this word. And I can't wait to spur you on to love and good deeds. That's what it says in Hebrews. That's one of my jobs. I'm going to open this up and hopefully you're just open this up and go, I want to read that again. I want to, I want to delight in this. I want to think about this day and night. And hopefully as families we'll learn to memorize passages together. I love it once and this doesn't happen often. But once in a while we'll have a situation and my little girl Autumn will say, well, that's what the Bible verse says and she'll say it. And I'll be like, yes, that's what we want. So let me end with one of my favorite chapters. Psalm 19. I want to end with this and I'll begin with this next Sunday. Psalm 1 speaks about the happiness. It gives us a picture of that tree. It's solid. Its roots go deep. It prospers. That's the life of someone who's in this word. Oh, it doesn't say your life is going to be perfect without hardship. It's going to say in those hardships, there's a guide. Amen? Deuteronomy 6 says this is how we're to do it. Everywhere, all around you, have the word. Talk about it. I have friends who gather and they just hang out and just play games. They don't even talk about the word anymore. They've forgotten the beauty of this. Psalm 19. (laughs) Someday we'll get into this chapter too. The first part, first couple verses talks about the beauty of all around us speaks about the glory of who created it. I love creation, but I love the creator more. God has revealed himself in all of creation. We see this in Washington. I mean, come on. That's general revelation, but more specific is starting with verse 7. So let me end with this, Psalm 19. Oh, let me just say this. This week, somehow, in your family, in your homes, go home and print 7 through 14. Make a, print them off on your printer. Get your kids to handwrite it out on bulletin or little bulletin papers, whatever you want to do. Get cardstock paper. Put it all over your house, this little section. Listen, you could feast on this for weeks and be full. It's so beautiful. Listen to these words. So my challenge to you as a family, start memorizing Psalm 19, 7 through 14. 
Here it is. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Let me just pause here. Be honest. How many of you feel at times your heart has been so dry, so empty, you're far from the Lord? How many of you ever had times like that where you just feel like, oh, please, oh Lord, are are you even there? You feel spiritually like you need to be revived? You don't need the next conference. You don't need the next fancy book. You don't need all these cool things out there. Listen to these words. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Listen, this law, this book, does, isn't mundane, it isn't dry, it isn't like, oh, I have to do, read the Bible. It gives joy to the heart. Love that. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Verse 10. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And by them your servant is warned. In keeping of them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. In the last verse, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray.